Hello, my good friends, and welcome yourselves. Welcome yourselves to this welcome of the February episode to the Lost Map podcast. Does that make sense? I should really written this bit down. I'm your host, Pictish Trail. I'm here to join you for the next hour or so with some music, chat, and daft shite from my label, Lost Map. We're an independent record label based on the Isle of Egg in the Inner Hebrides of Scotland. I hope you're all keeping safe and well, wherever you are during this interminable lockdown, and that you're being kind to yourselves. That is important. You deserve that. And if taking the time to listen to this podcast is you being kind to yourself, well, then you definitely deserve it. We've got a packed show today. There's an interview with one of our most recent signings, a guy called Lucas Klassen, a.k.a. Sulka, who reveals all about his brand new album, Take Care, which we've just released. We're joined by Good Dog for this month's edition of First Gig, Worst Gig. We've got a truly harrowing Valentine's-themed ghost story from Rose of the band Kid Canaveral. And we've got a new format for our quiz show, This or That. My good friends Laura and Bart, both of whom work for Lost Map, they're the contestants on a pretty weird Mr. and Ms. version of our most unpopular monthly segment, This or That. Before all that nonsense, I thought we would have a look in our Postmap Club mailbag. Postmap Club, Postmap Club, Postmap Club, it's a very nice club. Early in the morning, just as day is dawning, Victor's trail is talking loads of shite. Postmap Club is our membership club in which we send you postcards in the post, printed postcards, every month. These printed postcards have got really nice artwork and on the other side they contain download codes where you can download new music that we've released on the label alongside exclusive tracks, rarities, live sessions, audio experiments, all from different acts in the Lost Map Collective. When you sign up you also get a membership badge and a monthly newsletter from me as well as discount codes for other merchandise on our webshop. It's a nice way for you to support what we're doing as a label during this difficult time. If you enjoy this podcast that you're listening to now and you like the music that you're hearing, you should sign up. There are currently three tiers of membership starting at just £3 a month and all three tiers get exactly the same stuff. So yeah, you're not going to be missing out. The only difference is if you pay more, you get a slightly bigger badge. If you'd like to become a member, you can find out more information and see the sizes of the badges by going to lostmap.com forward slash club. If you sign up during the month of February 2021, you will receive the following postcards. We've got a new release from Fire Stations, our shoegazy psych pop band from Walthamstow. They've been insanely busy over the past year. Last summer, they released an album called Dream Home, a 77-minute continuous piece. It was followed up a few months later by their Automatic Tendencies EP, which featured the single Small Island. This month's postcard is a brand new single called The Circular, and it comes with two exclusive B-sides, one of which is the band recreating the sound of a fire. Not a fire station, but but an actual fire. Yeah, the lead track is The Circular and it also features on a forthcoming EP from the band entitled Melted Medium, which is out in March on CD with accompanying art packages. More info on all of that to come next month, but for now, here's a little clip of The Circular. That was a wee bit of The Circular by Fire Stations. 
Also in this month's Postmap Club mailbag is the second release on Lost Map from Jenny Moore's Mystic Business, another London-based act. Their previous single, I Am Afraid, received a lot of support from BBC Six Music, especially from Steve Lamack and Lauren Laverne, and there was a cosmic remix by our good pals Free Love. On this new single, Jenny and the group have covered the song Woman is a Word, originally recorded by the R&B pop musician Empress Of. It's an amazing song and the vocal harmony arrangement that the Mystic Business have created is really powerful. Here's a little clip. Map Club mailbag. We've got a brand new EP from me. Me. Picked his trail. I've spent most of the past year freaking out, worrying I didn't have any time to, to write music and that wasn't getting anything done. So at the start of this year, I decided to pull my finger out and just throw myself into releasing music again. I've started writing new songs and in fact, I've just done the first recording session for my next album and in the spirit of getting music out there I've also gone through the archives and I found a track that I'd recorded during the Thumbworld album session which didn't quite fit on that album it's a song I really love called Dreamwall and it's an older song which I've never yeah I never really properly released but it's it's always stuck with me sometimes songs reveal their true meaning to you after you've had them tucked away for a wee while this one's about a recurring dream of not being able to finish anything I've started so Make of that what you will. The track Dreamwall features as part of an EP called, wait for it, the Dreamwall EP. And it's got remixes from Lost Map alumni such as Callum Easter, Kinboat and Good Dog. And there's also a remix on there by Nick and Rachel from the band Bamboo, who are one of my favourite acts. You might recognise Rachel actually, as she plays in Bassian and Rosie Plain and she's also a member of Trash Kit. They're an amazing band. I also recorded a cover version on the EP. It's a rendition of a song by an electropop artist called Moscow Man. My pals at Moshi Moshi Records asked if I would cover his song Myths Still Exist, which I did in my shed. Probably the only Pictish Trail song you're going to hear that has a reference to Insta models. I don't even know what that is. At the end of today's episode, you'll hear the unreleased track Dreamwall in full. But for just now, here's a wee clip of Callum Easter's remix of the song Slow Memories. Okay, so that's a little taster of what's in this month's Postmap Club package. If you like any of that music and you'd like to own it in full, you should sign up to Postmap Club. Go to lostmap.com forward slash club. Take Care is the name of a brand new album from the Glasgow-based singer-songwriter and producer Lucas Klassen, who makes music under the name Sulka. We've just released the album on CD and it comes with a printed zine that has sketches and lyrics hand-drawn by Lucas himself. There's also a cassette version that we've co-released with the tape label Gold Mould Records and the whole thing's been done in association with Lucas's own label, Negative Hope. I caught up with Lucas a few weeks ago and we had a bit of a chat about the making of the album, his musical background and the stupid hat of Gary Jules. So 
So tell us about your start in music. How did it all kick off? What did you, yeah, did you start playing in bands first? I started playing in a band when I was like 14, just with my friends at school. And it was called Frank. And it was named after the character in Donnie Darko, like this scary rabbit kind of skull character that uh, me and my friends were really into that at the time. So we named the band after that. Main thing I remember about that is that the Christmas number one that year was was the song from that film. Mad World. Mad World, sung by Gary right. Jules. And I remember his name quite distinctly because he had like a really terrible hat. <laughs> I think when dudes reach a certain age and they go bald, they try and style it out with a hat, but not just like... And a scarf. A hat well. and a scarf combo. Gary Jules was, was rocking the flat cap. Like you know, pre Peaky Blinders, at a, at a oh, flat cap. I was I was imagining more a kind of Blues Brothers hat. Oh right, know? like a sort of bowler hat. I mean, yeah, yeah I, know, I, know trill, like ta- I know what you're talking about now. <laughs> yeah, that's what it is. That's my haunting memory of Danny Darko. Now it's just his <laughs> terrible, his terrible hat choice. <laughs> So you've always been into quite punky music? Around that age, yeah, I was getting into that kind of stuff. And then like some heavier stuff as well. Yeah. Oh, were you a metalhead? A little bit, yeah. I liked sort of the hardcore, kind of post-hardcore stuff. I didn't really know what all the genres meant at the time. It was just like this new heavy music to me. So just kind of into like Rage Against the Machine and a bit of Metallica as well. And like Oh, see, now this Nirvana is revealing. And stuff. <laughs> Because you sent through a this or that question for our last podcast. Yeah. The eternal Iron Maiden versus Metallica question. Yeah. And now you've just given me a little insight there as to mm-hmm. what you might have gone with. I think this is why I asked it, because I didn't actually know myself what I would go. I think I, I, was into, <laughs> I was into Iron Maiden at first when I was learning guitar, because it was like mad like solos and stuff. I thought that was really cool. I got into Metallica a bit later when my friend who was in history class was like lent me all their CDs and I just put them on my iTunes and got into like all their albums at once. <laughs> Where were you based at this time when uh, you were first starting out? Through in Stirling. I was in high school at Dunblane and that's where I met my friends who I started the band with. And yeah, we just started playing uh, around Stirling. There was a venue called the Tollbooth. I think you've played there before. Yeah, I played there a bunch of times. It's a really great venue, the Tollbooth. Yeah, it's great. And they do a lot of like music classes and especially stuff for the youth around Stirling. So they have like kind of underage gigs there that we used to play quite a lot. Um, like under 18 gigs that you would log the tickets to your friends in school and get them to come along. And did that sort of foster a scene then? A little bit, yeah. seemed like there was quite a thriving youth music scene at the time anyway. Again, a lot of hardcore bands, which were like kind of a lot heavier than what I was into at the time. We ended up being quite an indie band, like the Maccabees or something like that. So we kind of stood out a little bit after a while because there was like all these hardcore bands in us. But Does that yeah. scene still exist there? Because you were part of a thing called the Death Collective there, right? Death Collective, yeah. That's a few friends of mine and they made like a just a compilation CD point where they all recorded some tunes together in like a couple of days just sort of a loose group of friends that decided to get together and support each other and where how long were you involved with that for because you moved to glasgow for university did you kind of stay involved with the sort of sterling scene once you'd moved to glasgow a little bit yeah because my friend innes was still back through in in dunblane for a year while i was through in glasgow and we were playing in a band together. So I would go back through and jam with him. And he was getting to know a few more people around Sterling. So we'd still play gigs in Sterling quite a lot during that time. Mm. What I most enjoyed about being at uni was really just having an excuse to live in Glasgow and start to form bands through here and get to know a lot of people. So you were in a band called Polar Next for a while. And that was, was that formed in Glasgow? It was, but it was with the same people that I was playing with from high school. And that was kind of like a more kind of punky, like alt-rocky band, like Dinosaur Jr. or something like that. Got into like Sebado and Pavement and stuff like that. Yeah, and that was, that was really like my main introduction to the Glasgow music scene was through that band. And what happened with Polar Next then? Just kind of ran its course after a while. The three of us all had our own songwriting projects that we eventually branched out into. Innes plays in a band called Deathbed. They're quite a heavy, like screamy band. 
Oh, yeah. And brilliant. And Callum started a project called Hey Up as well. I was writing more kind of quieter stuff that ended up being Sulka. We'd been a band for about three or four years, and I guess just after a while, it felt like we wanted to focus on our own little songwriting projects. So I guess that's how it happened. And did Sulka always start out then as a solo project? It was something that was like very much your thing, as opposed to being sort of a band thing from the beginning. Yeah, totally. I was really into that guy, Alex G, um, when I started Sulka, and I just wanted to be like that, basically, because he's the solo artist who just records everything himself. Mm. And I just liked how prolific he was, and he just fired out these amazing albums on Bandcamp and just grew this internet fan base. So that's kind of what I was going for when I started the project. And yeah, it was the first time that I'd uh, like set out to be a kind of solo artist in that way. I did most of the songwriting for the previous bands that I was in, but it was still, you know, very much a collaborative thing. I just like was quite excited about the idea of just having a project where I just see through the ideas from start to end, just myself and see what comes of that, you know. It's interesting because the sound of the records, particularly the, the the latest one, the newest one that we were about to put out, but all of them, they all have like quite a full band sound. It's like you're approaching it as if it were a band to some extent. Is that right? Yeah, I think that's always in my mind when I'm recording it. I want to be able to play them live. I always think like, you know, I can't like overcomplicate this because I want to be able to play gigs and play these songs live. Maybe that's why a lot of the records do sound like they're being played with a band. must have been quite a frustrating year because no live gigs able to happen it's uh i think it's been a curse and a a blessing as well because i was working a lot before and the lockdown just gave me the chance to finish mixing that album Mm. and also to just take the time to really focus on promoting it and like sending it out and just deciding that that's what i was going to do i wasn't going to like rush it or anything i was just going to wait and like try and give the album the best release that i could give it you know it's a great album, man. Um, and as soon as you sent it over, you know, I stuck it on and, you know, I thought it was a band. And I was like, wow, this is like a really fully realised sound. And mm. there's so many different ideas going on. And the playing is all really great. And the way that the, the different textures flow through the different tracks, it's uh, it feels really great. And each each track feels like its own thing, but works oh. together really well as an album. And it's just got a really distinct sound. Oh, thanks so much, man. It's really cool to hear feedback. Like that. You should hear uh, some of the shit I have to listen to. <laughs> but so I like so much stuff I've been sent recently is absolutely terrible. I like the idea of someone sitting listening to this podcast right now and be like, oh, maybe that's my <laughs> song. <laughs> I spent hours on that song. <laughs> so you started writing Take Care a couple of years ago, right? Around that time you started Negative Hope, which is your own label that you've set up. Yep. Tell us about Negative Hope. What is it? Is it a collective that you've set up with yeah. some friends? Again, similar to the Death Collective that I mentioned earlier, it's a group of friends just deciding to gather together and put a name on it and to just house everything under one roof. Like Everyone was doing great stuff, but it just felt like very disconnected. We were all just kind of like gigging and not really making anything of it. So I just thought it would be a cool idea to start a wee label and make a little compilation of like all the tunes that we were doing at the time. We did a launch for it in my old flat. Uh, which was over on West Princess Street in the West End, which was... You did a launch um, in your flat? Yeah, that flat was suited to doing that kind of stuff. Like, it was really run down, owned by this landlord who's just basically not fixed them up for about 30 years. Um, <laughs> so it's just like this kind of slum. <laughs> but you could get away with doing stuff like that. Um, oh, cool. So, so we, we had quite a few gigs over the three years that I uh, lived in that flat. So how many different acts are associated with Negative Hope? Well, on the compilations, we've done two now, and it's always been 10 tracks and 10 bands. A core group of about four or five that are like the main bands, and then there's different bands that we ask to get involved.
right, so what are the plans now then? So you've done this album, Take Care. You started it a couple of years ago in the summer of 2019, I think, and worked on it through lockdown. How does it feel different from your previous records and what is the album about? I think the way it differs is that mainly the way I went about it, I think it was a lot more deliberate than the previous records. I knew I wanted to make it a step up. I wanted to like make it sound a little bit more commercial, you know, get it on radio and get it like properly released and stuff. And so I think from the get go, I was like, right, I need to like plan this out properly. It was mainly like getting good drum recordings, I think was the, the main thing. Because in the past, the drums have been very sort of lo-fi. So I got my friend Luke to record the drums for me. We did that in this practice space that we've got. Were you playing or was... Yeah, yeah. I played the drums and we just like smashed it out in like a day. I'd say it was just like a very deliberate process. I wrote to-do lists and kind of ticked things off as I went along just so that everything got done properly. Like it was quite a big learning curve, the production on this album. I'd spent a long time just like watching YouTube videos and learning how to do things and having come out the other end of that. There's like imperfections and things that I wish now could have done better but i think that shows that i've learned a lot through the process and it definitely sounds a lot better than previous albums i've done and i guess it's also about capturing a time right of capturing mm-hmm. who you are at that at that moment did were the songs all written kind of in relative close proximity yeah during that time like i was saying with the negative hope launch like moving out of that flat the kind of party flat and like moving down to the south side and also being between relationships at that point as well just one of those times it's like a bit turbulent or something. I mean, that's often how a lot of music and a lot of stuff is created is like when change is happening and you're adapting to what the change is and you can yeah, be inspired exactly. by it. Like just a change of scene and just all these things I feel like must have fed into the creation of this record and gave you impetus to kind of start afresh in some ways. Yeah, I always think of the, the songwriting that I do as being a way of processing life and just things that are going on it's got a bit of a therapeutic feel to it doing the lyrics especially i'm interested in the lyrics because with the album that we're putting out it's coming with a lyric zine where you've done illustrations Mm. and have worked the lyrics into the illustrations is the illustrative process any part of the lyric writing process do you doodle as well as (laughs) (laughs) write lyrics at the same time Uh, or is it are they are they connected in any way all of that kind of came after like Mm. That was a bit of a lockdown project, just doing those drawings. During that first lockdown, it's like a lot of people are just kind of reconnected with things that I used to like to do. So I did a lot of drawing just because I was working on the album at the same time. I, th- I just had that idea to work it in with the aesthetics of the album and everything. And also, I've, I've never really written out my lyrics before for people to read. And I was quite proud of the lyrics on the album. So. Have you been working on anything else since it's been done? Yeah, I've got like another album-ish. Uh, really? batch of tunes that I'm working on at the moment. Yeah, I've got most of the foundations of it. I'd say it's like 60-70% there. I just I need to do the lyrics and stuff like that. But you're a fairly yes. prolific artist anyway, right? So looking on your Bandcamp, there's quite a few different releases already and EPs and, and collaborative stuff that you've done. I kind of set out to create as much as I can and just release it. I think a lot of people just sit on their music for too long and agonise over it. I think it's a much better approach to just put stuff out there. So I try and put out like two things a year usually. It's kind of been my rate of work the last few years. You do, man. That's awesome.
Thanks to Lucas for taking the time to chat there. His fantastic album, Take Care, is out now, available on limited edition CD or cassette with an accompanying zine. Numbers on both of those are quite limited, so I'd get yours soon. Okay, let's change the pace a little bit. Turn the lights down low. Light a candle, preferably a scented one. And get that half-finished tub of haagen out of the freezer. <laughs> oh, actually, I finished that one. Sorry. It's February, and we're celebrating Valentine's Day this month by giving you a very special rose. Rose Canaveral. If you happen to watch our Christmas Bobbles live stream event at the end of last year, you might have caught Rose Canaveral of the band Kid Canaveral performing a particularly haunting but still technically festive ghost story. Well, she's returned. And if any of you are spending Valentine's alone this year, don't worry. You're definitely going to be getting the willies now. Welcome, friends, to Rose Canaveral's Spooky Valentine. It's been a long year since the last Valentine we shared, and the months between have been characterised by necessary isolation and separation. This evening's tale is a tale of longing, of need for human touch. Cecile was nervous. Good nervous. Excited, almost. She sat on the churchyard bench in the chill of February and blew on her cupped hands, rubbing them together as her gaze flickered between the gate, girt by thorny branches, and her phone perched on her thigh. Not long now, probably. Hi, called a voice behind her. Are you Cecile? I'm Laura. I wasn't sure where I was coming to. Sorry if I'm late. No, not at all. I know it's a bit of a strange one. But it's a lot less potentially crowded and covid than a cafe, you know? Oh, totally. Socially distanced dates are a bit weird, aren't they? This is a great spot. It's lovely. Do you know it well? Cecile nodded and smiled. Yes, I'm quite into local history. It's a cool place and also the benches are two metres wide. <laughs> Laura laughed and Cecile continued. The church is really old. I love the architrave, the carvings, you know, but also the atmosphere. There's been a place of worship here for thousands of years, I think you can tell. It feels significant. People have come here to live, love, sacrifice. There's some great weird old carvings. There's monsters and green men and a gig. They're rare in Scotland. That's a female figure, a, a grotesque sort of with an exaggerated gaping vulva and a leering face. Cecile grinned. No one's exactly sure what they're about, if they're a remnant pagan fertility symbol or a demon or a depiction of the sexiest of the seven deadly sins. I personally think they're a manifestation of the male disgust, fear and envy of female sexuality and reproductive power, but I think she's incredible. Powerful. A big unapologetic fuck you to the patriarchy. She knows what she is and what she wants. What she needs. Laura smiled. I'm not religious, except for some lingering Catholic guilt and internalised misogyny. But isn't that true of us all? They both laughed. A bright, bubbling cacophony spilling across the empty graveyard. Tell you what, I'm freezing, said Cecile with a smile. Fancy going inside for a look around? I can point out some of the interesting fornices and we can talk more. There's no one about just now, but it's open for sanctuary. They got up from the bench and walked towards the church, either side of the path, chatting about everything and nothing, respectful of necessary distance, but flirting with the promise of greater proximity. Laura pushed open the heavy oak door and stepped into the interior gloom of the chapel. Stepping forward, as the latch clicked behind her, she peered about. So where is she then, Sheila? From somewhere in the dark, there was a soft groan. Suddenly, close behind Laura's ear, a hiss. Ah! 
here. Laura spun on her heel, staggering backwards up the nave toward the altar. The thing that had been Cecile followed her haltingly, its clothes melting away as the glamour faded. With sinewy creaking, the monstrous limbs lengthened and it stretched towards her with bony fingers. Pale eyes pressing outward from bulging sockets, a jaw that stretched downwards into a bare, toothy grimace. From the pelvis to the chest, an elongated, yawning schism. The she-thing beckoned with a crooked arm, then stretching, reaching. Laura scrambled back across the transept and felt the hard, cool marble of the steps to the altar barring her progress. She sobbed as the strong fingers reached her and drew her close into the enveloping darkness. A little time later, Cecile hopped down the church steps and straightened her coat, a rosy flush in her cheeks. She took out her phone as she strolled towards the bench and opened the dating app once more. I hope that tale is not too troubling to those of you who paddle in the tempestuous waters of online dating or who fear the demons that lurk just there in the beyond or vaginas. I hope your next dating forays are safe and above all, human. Happy Valentines. That was truly diabolical. Thank you, Rose. If you enjoyed that at home, please let us know. Send us a wee message. Our email address is club at lostmap.com. It'd be nice if you left a review for the podcast as well. I don't know where you do that, though. Yellow, is that? I don't know. Back to our usual programming, and it's time for our regular segment, First Gig, Worst Gig. First Gig, Worst Gig is a segment in which we ask artists to tell us about the first gig that they ever went to as a punter and the worst gig they've ever performed themselves. This month in the hot seat, we've got Suze Bear, a.k.a. Good Dog. Suze is a very good dog friend of mine and has been involved in so many different acts associated with the label in a production capacity as well as performing, such as Tough Love. She's also played with Martha Fion and is a regular touring member of my own Pictish Trail live band. I have to say, spoiler alert, I was dreading her response to Worst Gig, but yeah, all will be revealed. Good Dog's debut album Creature came out on Lost Map last year and I have it on Good Dog Authority that another one is currently in the works. Alright, here's Suze now with her gigging memories in another first gig, worst gig. Excuse me. First gig, worst gig. My first gig was <clears throat> the band Steps at the SECC or the SEC, the Scottish Exhibition Centre, uh, when I was about 11 and it was fucking amazing, like mind-blowingly good. H flew over the audience and I oh, I lost it. Uh, my mum got me and my best friend at the time Imogen tickets for like my 11th birthday or something and I initially was quite sceptical about going because although I'd been a large Steps fan for a long time in my childhood, I uh, had just recently discovered punk music, or rather uh, <laughs> American melodic rock, like Blink-182 and uh, Millencolin and No Effects, which I, I guess that is, is punk. And um, I started to reject cheesy pop a little bit, even though I now realise that there is nothing shameful about pop music at all. In fact, it's better than Blink-182. But obviously ended up going to the concert and had a fucking really great time. Got some merch, which I've still got. I still uh, sleep in my Steps t-shirt. Oh, so good. I've never, to this day, never seen a production that, like, high sheen, high production value. I, I love I love that shit. And 
and my worst gig I've ever played. Uh, <laughs> I've I've got a few. Probably <laughs> uh, my old band Tough Love played a music award ceremony once, which was televised. And by televised, I mean screened on the internet. And we did our sound check, and it was all fine. And then because it was being televised, and they were having people on stage to come and speak, they had to take our stuff off and then go and set it up for us when we were actually ready to go on and play after people had finished doing the ceremony and speaking and that. And then we were to just walk on stage and play, having had them set up our pedals and our mics and our amps and everything, uh, which all sounded fine. But we were using in-ear monitors for maybe one of the first times, I think. And we kind of got pushed on stage at the time when it was ready for us to play. And they'd set up our stuff wrong. They'd set up our pedals in the wrong order and microphone in weird positions and things. And we'd been instructed just to get on and play immediately because this is televised and no one wants to wait, blah, 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 blah. And we're good boys, obviously. We just got on stage and did what we were told. But uh, we fucking couldn't hear anything. And uh, our stuff was set up wrong, so Raph couldn't reach his pedals or the microphone. Oh, it was a nightmare. And at this ceremony thing, there were a lot of music industry professionals and, you know, a, a lot of <laughs> our peers as well. Oh, it was bad. It was it was bad. We we didn't have to play a full a full set, but uh, I guess it's still a gig. Eh? Didn't didn't go well. Didn't come off stage feeling good. Weirdly, from that gig, Paolo Nettini saw us play and uh, asked us to play at Bella Houston Park with him and Grace Jones after seeing us. I thought it was the worst gig we'd ever played, but I guess I was wrong and it was okay. But it felt bad. Another bad gig was maybe like my first gig as a teenager in my childhood band, Time Well Spent, um, which was also the, the name of SPT's slogan at the time, Scottish Public Transport, Time Well Spent. I was the lead singer and I'd forced my two of my male friends to play in the band with me. The drummer, who didn't actually play drums, I had to teach him. Together we learned to play drums by <laughs> like, tabbing it out and um, working out how the patterns of the kick, snare and hi-hat went together, like in theory. And the, the bass player, who did very much not want to be in a band with like a nerdy lesbian. Anyway, the um, our first gig, which was at the Barfly, and was put on by this promoter called Podboy who are a really nice group of people that put on kind of like DIY punk kind of gigs. And um, we went on and uh, our drummer, God love him, lovely guy, he just forgot all the parts. He just forgot what to do. And then it was over. The gig ended halfway through when we were meant to finish. And it was, um, as a teenager, really humiliating. But uh, looking back on it, very funny and very silly. I've got many others, but I'll stop. All right, bye. Oh, just one last thing, actually, just to say what I said earlier about pop music being better than Blink-182. Yeah, that's not true. I really love all music equally. Um, that, was a, that was a stupid thing to say. Unless it's uh, industrial music, that's genuinely bad. Okay, bye. Okay, now it's time for... This. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> it's this or that. Oh, it's the part of the show when when we ask, is it this? This. this or is it that? that? Is it this or that? <laughs> yeah. Um... <laughs> Every month, we take hot questions from our listening public and poise them at a different guest. This week, we're changing the format quite a bit. It's an experiment, and we're probably going to regret it. I already regret it. <laughs> oh, God. I've come up with this new idea. I thought, how about we make this a game show? Make it a bit more competitive so that you, the listener, are perhaps a bit more invested. Ooh. As you can hear, I've brought some clowns to take part in this week's edition of This or That. We thought we'd get a few lost map guinea pigs involved who are going to be injected with the needle of This or That. We don't often peer behind 
the curtain to reveal the inner workings of the Lost Map <laughs> staff room. Thank God. Most, mostly because I picked his trail do 95% of the work. But... <laughs> Whoa, it's more like 98. I forgot that Kate was on the call. <laughs> 95% of the talking. But for today's episode, I'm accompanied by two colleagues who work with me at the label. Bart Owl is our, social, is our social media manager and also the front man with Indie Miserablists, Eagle Owl. Remember them? <laughs> Uh, and I'm also joined today by Laura Doherty, whose position at Lost Map is almost as undefinable, layered, and mysterious as the pronunciation of her surname. <laughs> Ooh. Still no closer to finding out how you pronounce Doherty. Welcome both, Laura Bart. What a, what a treat to have you on this or that. What a treat to be here. Uh, we're also joined in the studio uh, via the internet by podcast engineer Joe Cormack. Hello, this is what I sound like. Oh. Hi. <laughs> right, shut up. The man that has <laughs> And the dog's body, <laughs> Kate oh. Lasden. Surprise. <laughs> Kate's going to be our audience. You're going to have to do a lot of clapping, Kate. Dog's body audience. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I won't clap. <laughs> uh, so, but this is going to be a normal game of this or that uh, oh, to some degree. <laughs> just a standard game. It's a standard no, game. Normal, normal rules. I tell you what, we have up the ante a little bit, though. You guys, uh, you are under steady employ of Lost Map Records Limited, but oh, are, are we fighting for uh, P45? Well, no, not quite. But there is a cash prize. Mm. I mm. didn't tell you about this beforehand, but guys, one of you could win. Ten pounds. Ooh! Two weeks' wages. But possibly, <laughs> possibly, both of you could win ten pounds. Ooh! Are you ready to play this or that? Yay! Yes. Oh yeah. What I'm going to do first is we're going to have a this or that round with Laura Doherty. We're going to have to say goodbye to our Mr. Bart for a little while. So, Bart, sod off. So, should I just... Please go to your isolation booth. Okay, I'm not on the call anymore. You can begin. Well, hold on. I don't trust Bart. I don't trust Bart to do this. That wasn't convincing at all. Bart, are you there? No. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. Okay, Laura, are you ready? I'm going to go into another room, so just text me. Okay. (laughs) Uh, what's going to happen in this episode of This or That is, Laura, I'm going to hit you with some this or that questions. You're going to answer mm-hmm. them, and then you're going to guess how many you think your Mr. Bart will mm-hmm. guess correctly. Are okay. you ready to play this or that? Probably not, but let's do it. Here's our first question. It's from Beth. Tits or teeth? Tits. <laughs> <laughs> Good answer. Here's our second question from Gary. Sex or chocolate? Sex. Predictable. <laughs> I have to say, this month's edition of This or That, we asked the public to send in some romantic questions, and they're pretty much all of that standard. So here we go. Question number three from Henry. <laughs> jacuzzi or bath? Bath. Not classy enough for the old jacuzzi. <laughs> They're <laughs> manky, aren't they? You never, you never get a jacuzzi in like a clean place, do you? Well, not the places you're going to, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> Here's question number four from James. A chocolatey crumbly flake in the bath or a Yorkie on the toilet? (laughs) 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 Um, Do you want a flake in the bath? (laughs) That better be a flake in the bath. Okay, here we go. This is uh, question five from Kate. Romeo or Juliet? Uh, Juliet. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Taylor's going to be crying in his big pillow. Oh, um, shit. Question six. <laughs> question six here from Malcolm. Your place or mine? Legally, my place. Ooh. <laughs> uh, this question, the final question. Are you ready for the final question? Yes. Question number seven from Julia. 
three blind dates or three blind mice? Three blind dates. Only a sadist would really say three blind mice. That's <laughs> <laughs> well done. You've completed the <laughs> the round of. Oh my so God. That... How many was that? It felt like well, about twenty. <laughs> well, it was it was only seven. But how seven. many of the seven do you think Bart will match? I reckon we're on the page around 75% of the time. Let's say, quick maths, five. You think five? Yeah. So let's welcome back to the conversation someone who's not been listening the entire time. It's Bart. Now, before we start your round, Laura has guessed a number of how many you're going to get right, how many you're going to match with hers. How many do you think you're going to get? How many questions are there? Seven. I think I'll get seven. If you get seven, let me tell you right now, you're going to win ten pounds. <gasps> Laura, if if he gets five, mm-hmm. you win ten pounds. Are you ready to play this or that? Yes. Bart, are you ready? Here's question number one from Beth. Tits or teeth? Teeth. Oh. <laughs> Bart, you're you're not going to win ten pounds, mate. <laughs> <laughs> well fuck this then I'm off <laughs> you can stick your fucking game <laughs> here we go sex or chocolate chocolate oh, oh. can you believe it Laura Deherty chose sex oh no that makes sense I had to take your first answer I'm sorry here we go question number three from Henry jacuzzi or bath bath oh oh yay now I don't want to spoil this but you've got to get all the rest of them right for Laura to win £10 Romeo or Juliet Juliet yes oh oh hold on (laughs) (laughs) I forgot I had the button I think I missed one out I missed one out hold on here we go question number four (laughs) here we go this is from James a chocolatey crumbly flake in the bath or a Yorkie on the toilet Uh, a chocolatey crumbly flake on the bath there we go well done well done (laughs) You're doing very well. Got three three matches so far. We've got two questions to go. So here we go. Your place or mine? Mine. Oh, correct, Armando. This is is fast and furious. So we're down to the final question. If you match this with Laura, she will win £10. Okay. Okay, so think about that. Here we go. This question stems from (laughs) Julia. <laughs> three blind dates or three blind mice? Three blind dates. Oh! Hang on, what? Laura won? What? Pounds. Laura, I'm happy to tell you that you have won, not Bart, you have won £10. Even though I did all the work. Now, how, but I tell you what. Would you like to play double money? Yes. Now, to to play double money. <laughs> I mean, without even knowing any details, why not? Let's just do it. Go it's, big. It's when you give your bank account details. <laughs> <laughs> now, I'm going to ask you each a question that you have posed to the other person. If you both match these, then you will both win £10. You up for that? Great. Yes. Or you can just keep the £10 you've got already. That's in the bank. That's safe. Do you know what? Let's go big. Oh, here we go. Double or nothing. Double or nothing, baby. It's fast. It's furious. I'm going to ask you this question to you first, Mm -hmm. Laura. Okay. Here we go. Flaccid or engorged? (laughs) (laughs) I guess a girl's got to say engorged. (laughs) Oh, let's find out what Bart's answer was. Flaccid. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you lost. Laura, I'm so sorry you've you've lost. (laughs) Ten pounds. 
But, but you say there was in a bank. <laughs> Do we not get like a pen or anything? It's a Johnny's bank. <laughs> Laura, Laura, don't be a sore loser. You have lost everything. <laughs> but Bart, I lost my Bart, are you willing to steal her nothing? <laughs> I mean, you, you've just made it apparent that she has nothing. She's got nothing, but do you want to steal? Steal what? Steal, steal what? Well, I've got, I've got ten quid here. <laughs> and do I want to steal it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, sure. Okay, here we go. Here's the question that Laura posed to you, her mister, for the purposes of this program. Penis or vagina? I mean, I can see the benefits of both, but I'm going to say vagina. Penis. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, Bart, you were wrong. Uh, the answer was, of course, penis. It's, it's so obvious in hindsight. <laughs> it's such a shame. Laura, you came within shitting distance of winning uh, upwards of £20. But oh, do you know man. what? You both leave with your dignity. <laughs> hold, hold on, you don't even do that, do you? Definitely not. not. You both still leave with your jobs at Lost Map Records intact. <laughs> and that's the main thing. Well done, everyone. Oh, thank you. Thank you for listening to that or this. If you would like to send in a this or that question, you can do so by sending an email of a voice recording. Just record the question, doing it on your phone is fine, and email it to club at lostmap.com. Normally, we award a prize for the shittest one, but uh, this month there were so many bad questions. I've gone the other way around and I've selected the best. Congratulations to Julia, who sent in three blind mice or three blind dates. Oh, what a conundrum. You'll be hearing from us. That's the end of today's episode then. The Lost Map podcast is co-produced and edited by my pal, Joe Cormack, and is made possible with funding from Creative Scotland. As promised, we'll leave you with the new Pictus Trail tune by popular demand. Yeah, Dream Wall. You're going to hear that now in full. And we'll see you next month, pals. Bye.
Before, before. 